But first of all, Laura Tingle, has anything of importance happened while I was away? Well, it depend on your definition of importance, I think, Philip. Um, there was a death in the family, so to speak, and um, and as a result, most other things stopped for a fortnight. So, um, has Vlad been up to any nonsense? Well, yes, that was actually reasonably significant. Um, Vladimir Putin is obviously um, just uh, under a little bit of pressure and has been um, mobilising. Uh, the Russian army for the first time since 1941, I think it might have been, um, and um, it's not really going very well for him. But there's good news from Italy, aren't, isn't there, because the fascists are back in power? Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm shaking my head. I don't know if that really works on radio, Philip, but I'm just, I'm just <laughs> shaking my head. Okay, now, did Albanese have any choice in following the protocols that were already in place in regard to what happened in the days and weeks following the royal death? Um, I think uh, there's a bit of yes and no in that one, Philip. Um, I think the logistics of uh, this, this is a monstrously large amount of ceremony that we saw in the UK meant that there was a lot of... Um, obligation on him to just follow the, the timetable uh, on on dealing with uh, and responding to the death of the Queen. I, th I suspect that there might be, um, there might have been a little bit of regret or, or something within the government about agreeing to suspend Parliament. I suspect that was one of those things which was on the list of things to do, but People hadn't thought about, well, wait a minute, will the, will the British Parliament be sitting, you know, w when when were we supposed to be sitting? Does it make any difference? And the, they were all being a bit defensive about it and saying, oh, well, it would have been sort of stupid just to come back for one day or two days. Well, it has been known to happen in the past. Um, and, you know, we could have had the condolence motion rather than having them all come back last Friday. So I think... Uh, Probably if he had his time again, there'd be things that he wouldn't do exactly the same. Uh, but it, it has been pretty astonishing, hasn't it, Philip? I mean, the just seeing... I mean, I, I think people genuinely had a great respect for the Queen and, you know, I'm not going to go through all of the clichés again about what she represented and all those things, but I have found it quite staggering to see the extent to which, you know, politicians flocked to... Uh, her madge like, um, you know, moths to a flame over the last two weeks to make sure that they were identified as being there and mourning um, in, in a really conspicuous way. I, d I don't know whether you read the Tingle column in the Finn Review. No, I, I, I Well, I do assiduously yeah, and the, the writer thinks that the pomp and ceremony raises more questions than should we just become a republic? Well, it, um, that sounds like a very really good point, Philip. Um, uh, so, I, yes, I think that th there's this real complexity about this, isn't there? I mean, it's it's easy to just say, well, uh, the Queen is dead and we always said that once the Queen died, the Republic debate would take off. Well, that certainly hasn't happened as, a, as, an, an, as an initial cause and effect. In fact, it's gone the other way. But I think th the thing that sort of strikes me about it is there are, well, there are several things that strike me about it. One of them is there's sort of this yawning chasm between 
all the symbolism as associated with the Queen, uh, separate from who she was as a person, uh, and the Republican debate in the sense of it being seen as a change in our system of government. There's this sort of, this, there's this spectacularly large grey area in the middle about uh, what a head of state is in a, in a symbolic sense, let alone in terms of shifting uh, to having our own head of state, uh, in terms of shifting the way the constitution might be structured or not cha changing the way it was structured. And I think also all this, even if you just think about the Queen in symbolic terms, it just became more and more striking to me as we watched that two weeks. By the time uh, she was being escorted out of London on the gun carriage, she was surrounded by thousands and thousands of people in very splendid and sometimes silly military uniforms. And it tends to just be seen in a sort of, uh, as a former Prime Minister PJ Keating would say, sort of theme park sort of way as being about um, pomp and ceremony. But, you know, this is all about military and you can see why, uh, you know, a debate started but was often stomped on, not just here but in other parts of the world, about, um, about Britain's colonial legacy, uh, certainly its legacy of what was done in the name of the Crown historically in Australia. Against uh, Indigenous and, people. And particularly for Indigenous people. And it's, uh, it's, I mean, there was a piece very early on, I think within 24 or 36 hours of uh, the, the Queen's death in, I think, the New York Times, which said mourn the Queen but not, you know, not the uh, colonial uh, legacy of the Crown. And uh, there was absolute outroar and uprage uh, you know, uproar and outrage about it um, around the world that this was a disgraceful thing to be doing so close to her death. Um, now, whether that's the case or not, there's been a, a bit of a theme through um, the d discourse since then that, you know, it was sort of a bit uh, inappropriate or um, unsound to sort of talk about either the Republic or the, you know, the implications um, and the Im impact that what was done in the name of the Crown, you know, has had a, a huge impact on our history uh, and particularly uh, on the history of Indigenous people in this country. I can't think of an elegant uh, segue here, but let's now talk about the Integrity Commission, which is sort of passing through the body politic like a pig in a boa constrictor. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure what that means, Philip. But um, look, well, it's. It, Legislation it's, it's will be introduced this week. So I'll just, I'll just I'll let, let it go through to the keeper. But the, um, wait a minute, no, that's getting very confused in our metaphors. But look, uh, it's really interesting. I mean, everybody's agreeing on having an anti-corruption commission, which looks like it'll actually be, have quite a lot of teeth. Now, we haven't seen the legislation for this yet, but uh, this is a really interesting uh political development, I think. You, you, you saw both sides of politics uh, at various stages being very resistant to the idea of an anti-corruption commission, particularly the coalition, uh, for a variety of reasons that, you know, it might look like the New South Wales ICAC, uh, that it might be mean to people, all sorts of things. 
They didn't do anything serious about it while they were in government. Labor pledged that it would. Uh, but the, the real push for this has come from the crossbench and from people who are advocates, whether they're judges or, um, body, or, or bodies who are interested in integrity in public office and public uh, service. And uh, essentially the si signals that those people, people like Helen Haynes on the crossbench who, of course, put, put in her own proposal for an anti-corruption commission in the last parliament, are saying, look, the signals we're getting from the government are that it will be a body with teeth, uh, that it will have good safeguards, that it will be a better model than some of the state models have been. Uh, and they're pretty encouraged. And uh, the coalition has come on board with this. And I think there is a scope for the parliament to actually work as parliament should and actually... Let me ask you this. Will this, it have um, the ability to look at sins of the past or will it only deal with uh, cases of possible corruption now and in the future? Uh, Philip, it will have the capacity to retrospectively look at sins of the past. No wonder people are a bit anxious about it. What about uh, budgetary independence, Laura? Uh, we Once again, we've got to see the details of, of that, but... Um, once again, we, we spoke to Helen Haynes tonight on 7.30. She's feeling pretty confident about that, that there'll be a structure put in place uh, to make sure that uh, the body has uh, budgetary independence and that it will also be able to uh, call its own inquiries. It won't be relying on references from the government of the day or even the parliament. Now, of course, Dutton's a major player in this, and so let me remind you, beloved listeners, in parenthesis, if you want to know more about Peter and his views on the Integrity Commission, uh, watch Four Corners on iView. It's a profile of the opposition leader. Laura, there was a statement to Parliament that has come out of the Royal Commission into Defence and Veteran Suicide. Uh, yes, this is, of course, the ongoing Royal Commission into um, Defence and Veteran Suicide, which is continuing to take evidence, Philip. But uh, the Royal Commissioners felt uh, a few months ago that they wanted to make some interim findings based on what had already been going on, which were really going to the mechanics of how the Department of Veterans Affairs works. Uh, and uh, because it's so hopeless and, and you know, we're, we're, the fact that we're losing more people to suicide than uh, sort of uh, than we lost in Afghanistan um, and Iraq uh, is sort of pretty profoundly shocking. So the government has responded today to that interim set of recommendations. It's accepted most of them and it, it's, it, and they are things like um, getting enough staff in place uh, so that you can actually deal with claims that are coming in, um, trying to clean up a really messy sort of legislative and administrative structure which makes it very hard for people to actually get help. Um, and it's also... Uh, the, the Royal Commission wanted to address things like the fact that parliamentary privilege has been uh, seen to be a blockage to them actually being able to get access to some information. Now, this is one thing where the government has sort of uh, 
not been quite so fulsome in its uh, support of the recommendation, uh, but it's basically said that it will do what it can to get around the problem that parliamentary privilege, ironically, um, uh, creates in getting information to the Royal Commission um, and is doing everything in its power to try to make sure that, uh, you know, the Defence Forces are cooperating with the Royal Commission as best they can. Now, in a minute and a half, Bill Shorten has made a significant announcement. Yes, so Bill Shorten uh, is uh, the Minister for the uh, NDIS and he's announced a series of appointments today, including a new new Chief Executive uh, for the NDIA, which is the body that runs it. Um, but he's also made a series of really interesting board appointments. Um, most sort of notably, I suppose, Kurt Fernley, the um, Paralympian, uh, is the chair of, of the body. Uh, he's got a lot of experience on boards. But also they're uh, bringing in Graham Innes, who was uh, involved right at the beginning with the Productivity Commission uh, report that sort of looked at setting up the NDIS. Um, and um, there's somebody else who's really interesting and I'm having a senior moment and forgetting who it is. But like, it's, he's putting some very interesting people onto the board. And oh, Dennis Napthine, who was the chair, was seen a bit as a political appointment. They've had a second thought. They keep it, they're bringing him back into the board, but not as chair. So some interesting things are going to be happening, I think, in this space in the next few months. One final thing, Optus, yes, Optus, no. The government's very cross with Optus. As, as it should be, uh, Philip, 10 million people have had their uh, uh, personal details compromised, including 2.8 million who've got things like their passport numbers and driver's licences uh, revealed, um, you know, and in a hack which the Home Affairs Minister says wasn't sophisticated and, you know, in any other country, um, they, Optus will be facing fines of hundreds of millions of dollars. So you can, can see big changes coming through to the regulatory systems here once they sort out the mess that's been created by Optus. Lovely to be talking to you again, Laura, and uh, I'll speak to you down the track. Laura Tingle, Chief Political Correspondent, 7.30. G'day, potties. If you can't get enough of Canberra politics and you're missing Fran Kelly, head to The Party Room, the podcast where Fran and RN Bricky presenter Patricia Cavallis unpick the week in politics. You'll find it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>